Let's turn in our Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 3. If you're using your pew Bible, the one in front of you, it would be on page 992. May the Lord honor the reading of God's word as I read for us from 1 Timothy chapter 3, 1 through 7. Hear now God speak to us. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach. The husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well, with all dignity keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. Let's pray together. Father, you have spoken to us from your word this morning. And as you have chosen to use a a marred mouthpiece for the declaration of the truth here, we trust that you will enable by your Holy Spirit for us to understand and apply and rejoice in the teaching of your word. Father, we thank you for the truth that we have sung. Jesus Christ, the Lamb slain for sinners. We thank you, Father, for not leaving us, but giving us the Holy Spirit. And, Father, we don't lean on him even now, but we trust entirely to his power to do in and through us a good work for your glory, even as we hear now from your word. We thank you for the opportunity to be together. We thank you for the opportunity to submit ourselves to this word. In the precious and holy name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. You may be seated. Well, the world is around us today. We have all sorts of opportunities uh, trotted out before us, whether by radio or the internet or any other way, many other ways, the, the opportunity to look to people as examples. Now, there's all sorts of examples that are out there for us today. For instance, you have uh, the music artists and entertainers that are before us and propagate themselves as someone to look at and maybe even emulate. There's athletes, there's motivational speakers, there's YouTube personalities, there's business moguls, there's fathers, there's mothers, there's heroes, there's all sorts of examples of those that the world calls us to look at, to be an example Of what type of person you are to be. But before us in God's word this morning. We have uh, the call to look not to the world for an example. But to look to the church. And even then to look to men who are leading the church. Now not just men 
Are those to be good examples in the church? Certainly women are to be as well, but those who are specifically leading, Paul is trotting up before us this morning, men. Now, if you're just joining us, we have been making our way through the book of 1 Timothy. Well, we do so each week, verse by verse, and here we find ourselves in chapter 3. And last week, we took a look at chapter 3, verse 1. And we took a look at who is an elder in the sense of uh, what what type of uh, work does he do? Where do we see the, the biblical mandate for these things? Where do we see the biblical backing for having a multiplicity of leaders within the body of Christ? And this week we're going to take uh, a bit of a closer inspection at the qualifications of that man. What's his character like? What's his reputation like? What is he, uh, what is he, how is he thought of by not only the church, but the world around him? Now, if you're looking at your Bible, look there with me. I wanted to just uh, have you note two specific things. This will help us as we study the passage, kind of saying, on track together. The way I've divided the passage is really to take uh, verse 2 and 3. Excuse me, just verse 2 primarily, and then 3 through 7. Now, why don't we do that? Because there's 14 qualifications that the Word of God lists for us here this morning in 1 Timothy chapter 3. And I'm going to paint with a broad brush, but if you're looking at verse 2, you're going to see seven qualities, and they're all in the positive. Meaning, this is what he should be doing. This is what he, this is what he should be. This is what he should be like. This is what he should be gifted to do. And then chapter, verse 3 through verse 7, again painting with a broad brush, there's more of what he should not be. Now there's a few positives thrown in there, but painting with a broad brush and helping us to understand sort of the structure of the passage, we're going to take a look at verse 2, and then we'll take a look at 3 through 7. Now Paul's aim to Timothy in the Ephesian church that he's writing to is to instruct them on what to look for in the life of a man who may lead the church. Now that doesn't mean that every man is going to lead the church. We'll talk about that in a moment. But these are the type of men who may lead the church. And when we think about the church, we have to then stop and think that the church, uh, the, the bride of Christ... Uh, the, the, let's think of a, of a marriage. The, the bride being in many ways the glory of the husband. The, the beauty of the marriage relationship. The delight of the husband. The important relationship. The most important relationship uh, that the husband would have. Socially. Uh, familially. And that translates us very uh, clearly to help us Understand the weight of what should be the church coming together. That this is the bride of Christ. That the glory of God is encapsulated in Jesus Christ and is to be reflected through you all. So this is not a, this is not a light thing we talk about this morning. As in, well, these are some guys that we should look for. No, underlying beneath the surface of these seven verses is it, just a weight of the beauty and delight that God in all His glory has for you. He He loves you. He laid down His life for you. He delights in you. He keeps you. He strengthens you. He protects you. And so, when we're talking about the church and we're talking about men, 
who would even be leading the church, what we're really talking about is the glory of God. The delight of God. The wife, if you will, the bride of God, the church. And so this is both a weighty topic, but also a wonderful topic to be able to think, we, we get to be a part of an amazing relationship with the God of the universe. Now Paul, then, in, in, in helping us to understand the life of a man who may lead the church, I think is going to argue, the Holy Spirit, inspiring the Word of God, is going to, is going to argue that we believe a truth this morning, and here would be that truth. If you're taking notes, you might jot it down. It's a long sentence. I apologize. I'll repeat it. This is what it is. The gift of men, the gift of men qualified to lead the bride of Christ, edifies the church, radiates the transforming power of the gospel to a lost world, and keeps the focus of the church on God's glory. Now, let me just say that one more time. The gift of men qualified to lead the bride of Christ edifies the church, radiates the transforming power of the gospel to a lost world, and keeps the focus of the church on God's glory. Well, how do we see that truth in these seven verses? Let's spend our remaining time do that, doing that. As a way of introduction, or continued introduction, I'm going to uh, make a few remarks on where I left off last week and looking at verse 1. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone desire, aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. First of all, I want to just say by word of clarification that when Paul says anyone, he's not meaning anyone. Uh, he's meaning men. And we know that because of the context of 1 Timothy chapter 2, where he is just told women are not to teach in the church men. And so therefore, when he gets here, he is talking specifically to men. Now, just in case uh, you women are feeling a little left out uh, and not being able to teach. No, he's not saying you can't teach. In fact, he's wanting you to teach other women. And if you're thinking then that you're relegated to uh, a, a menial task and every man can, can be a leader of the church, no, you would be wrong on that one as well. Paul is, is stating not only can women... Uh, that are gifted by God, teach. Uh, men that are gifted by God should teach. But that doesn't mean that everybody's going to teach. In fact, here in these seven verses, he's going to help us understand that the ability to teach is that is a gift. And not every person has that gift. So when he says anyone aspires to the office, that doesn't mean everybody is going to be able to gain that office. Though this certainly is something that we should look for. Now, I think it's important for us to just pause for a minute and think through application for our church. We don't have a multiplicity of elders at this time. And so as we're studying through 1 Timothy 3, 1 through 7, and even next week beginning our study in deacons, we should be praying and asking the Lord, who do I see around me that is doing this work? Who can I be praying for? And who can I be encouraging to aspire to this work? And this isn't just older men, young men, boys. This is a great example uh, of the type of man you should aspire to be. And we'll talk about that more in just a minute. Now, first of all, let me just then say that the description of this man imitates Christ. Meaning Christ has these qualifications. 
And therefore, any man that's looking at this list comes away going, not for me, because I can't live up to that. That's too Christ-like. That's too high of a standard. Why would I even want to try? I know I can't do this. I know my own sin. And yet we have to recognize then that not only are we unable to do it in ourselves, the only way any man is able to serve in the church is by the power of the Holy Spirit. We cannot serve without Christ unless we have Christ. If we have Christ, though, men, he will equip you for this task. 1 Thessalonians 5.24 He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. And so we don't, we don't expect, men, that if you desire uh, this task, that it's going to be the same type of desire that you would have, uh, say, for uh, the world's going up the corporate ladder. I, I don't expect you to have the same uh, desire that you would want to have to be your own boss or to own your own company. This desire is a, a godly desire, and godly desires are different than worldly desires. And for instance, one of the things you won't see in this passage is you won't see a spirit of humility. And yet I think it's very clear that this desire is going to be such a love for the church that you want to serve the church. You want to minister to the saints. You want to encourage them in the word. You want to help them and see them walk faithfully in loving obedience to Jesus Christ. So if nothing else, this desire is going to look like great devotion. Now elders here are to be an example They're to be an example to the church. And therefore, the church is to probably look in some way, shape, or form like the elders. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 1, Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Elders are to be men that the church of Jesus Christ looks upon to model. We should be able to see an elder and say... That's the type of man that we say is a, is a good Christian who's following Christ faithfully. That, that's a man who's faithful. That's a man who we should emulate. And in fact, even then, if we are those who uh, bring up elders who are not qualified, we're doing a disservice to the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're actually causing, by unfaithful actions, to bring blasphemy to the word of God. Romans 2 tells us this, verse 21. You then who teach others, do you not teach yourself? While you preach against stealing, do you steal? You who say that one must not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who boast in the law, dishonor God by breaking the law? For as it is written, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. So, women, men... Boys, girls, uh, the description that we have listed for us in these seven verses is a description of a faithful follower of Jesus Christ. Uh, And there's nothing listed really in this description that shouldn't be uh, a a faithful testimony of anyone. I, I mean, it should be the faithful testimony of everyone. We should be able to say this of everyone, that this is the type of life that they have. This is the type of a witness that they have to the world. In a sense that your life lived faithfully. Your life reflecting these attributes are adorning the gospel of Jesus Christ. It, it's, a, it's a beautiful picture. So when they look at your life, they say, wow. 
That person who says they know Christ really lives in a way that shows the beauty of the transforming power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now we'll also see here that the qualifications are based upon character and the fruit of the gospel. You're not going to see training. Uh, You won't see qualifications of education or specific amounts of knowledge. This is not an exhaustive list. It's really a basic list of prerequisites. We don't see an age. We don't see a personality type. Elders are are not even required here to be older. Elder in the days of Paul was simply the the term or the title for those who who taught. And the list seems really quite small. As as I've already said, you, you don't see humility. You don't see love. You don't see joy. You don't see peace. You don't see patience. We really have quite a small list. What we also have to understand is that the men who are called to the task of overseer, understand the high stakes that they're called to. Now, I didn't think about this last week, but as I studied this week, uh, it became more clear to me. Let's think about Paul's historical context. Paul is encouraging Timothy, early church, raising up men. Who were the men who were, and throughout not just Paul's day, but all the way through the history of the church, martyred? It was the leaders of the church. Uh, Calvin Seminary in Geneva was called his school of death. Because those who left his school and went to France left with the firm and clear understanding that they would probably not make it back. Wives, ladies married men became their wives knowing going to France meant going to be a widow. It has always been in the history of a church that those who would serve faithfully are putting their lives on the front lines. And therefore, we we take this, and men, you should take on this task with the understanding that you're taking it on, willing to die for the church, physically if necessary. Willing to, to take the bullet. And that's not a figurative speech. That's literal. Willing to stand as the man did and Sutherland Springs and take the bullet for his congregation. So we do so. We, we're, we're willing to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ to the point that if it means our very lives are to be taken, so be it. That's not a light matter. So we understand the high stakes. That the gift of men qualified to lead the body of bride of Christ is, is going to build up the church. And, and these men are going to serve the church and they're going to lay down their life for the church. But in so living faithfully, they also radiate the transforming power of the gospel to a lost world. And in so, uh, in, in their faithfulness, they're not drawing attention to themselves, but they're pointing the glory, they're pointing all the praise to the glory of God and not to themselves. Okay, that wasn't the longest introduction in the world, it was close. Let's look at verse 2. Verse 2, what should he be? Now I'm going to... Go fairly quickly through these seven characteristics. I'm going to stop at one or two of them and expound a little longer. I think most of them are fairly explainable or self-explanatory. But if you have more questions, feel free to see me afterward and we can dive deeper. First of all, you'll notice he says the overseer must be above reproach. Above reproach. Calvin puts it this way, that there should be no notable fault. 
Another commentator puts it this way. A life free from any palpable stain. We look at a man and we... There's nothing obvious of, of, of a life that has been given to sin. It's obvious that the man is seeking to honor God. He, you can't put your finger on, on one particular glaring fault that he is in not some way seeking to, to change in his life. He's a man that's above reproach. He has a, a good reputation. And in many ways, that's the bookend to what happens in a few verses down from here. Uh, he should have a good reputation within the church above reproach. And he's going to have to have a good reputation outside of the church, even with unbelievers. Next, he lists the husband of one wife. Now, Calvin, uh, John Calvin preached quite a few sermons, six or seven, on these seven verses. I'm probably doing these verses uh, a disservice by only going at it with one sermon. But I think it's humorous, and let me read for you what Calvin said in his first sermon about the husband of one wife. This is what he said. But because we cannot make an end of this at present, we will keep it until after dinner. He punted on this one. Till another sermon. This is a hard, uh, this is a hard one. This is a hard qualification to understand, and it's always been uh, a, a source of disagreement, uh, a source of, of certainly, um, Debate amongst the church as to what as to what the word of God is actually saying here, and there's and you're probably familiar with them. There's quite a number of different thoughts on the matter. I'm going to share one or two, and then also share my particular belief on the matter. But before I get to that, let me just say this: what we do clearly understand is that you don't have to be married to be an elder. You don't have to be married to be an elder. Where do we see that in Scripture? Well, Paul isn't married. We're not even sure about whether or not Peter was married. It seems fairly clear that it's not a requirement to be married. In fact, either, even Paul is saying, I wish that more of you were like me, in the sense of being able to call to a life of singleness and being able to devote themselves fully to the gospel. Certainly, we know marriage is good, but not all are going to be married. But the prevailing thought here that we have to, and I think everyone would agree with this, is that the man who leads the church, his marriage should be marked by faithfulness. His marriage right now should be marked by faithfulness. In the sense that the testimony he has of how he loves and cares for his bride is going to be a clear picture to the world and the church of the love that Jesus Christ has for his bride, the church. It's a, it's a faithful marriage. It's a marriage that should be, that can be modeled. Then we have all the different questions about, well, is this the husband of one wife for life? Is this the, is this a, can widowers be elders? Can divorced men be elders? And really, probably some of the questions are answered in how we interpret the passage. Do we interpret it literally? Meaning the husband of one wife, and that's what it means. Or do we interpret figuratively? Well, I happen to fall on the figurative side of things. One of the reasons is, is because I know that Paul encourages uh, widowers and widows that it's good to be remarried. And therefore, I think it would be difficult for him to say that, and then also to say, well, if you were remarried because you were a widower, then you could not serve as an elder. Historically, 
the context he's writing to is a culture that is wrought with polygamy. And this was not just in the Old Testament with the patriarchs, who many of the Jews in Paul's day were modeling their lives after, and they had had multiple wives. But it was a New Testament problem as well. In fact, the Jews were some of the last in society to, to, um, to prohibit polygamy. Romans started prohibiting polygamy before the Jews even had, history tells us. We certainly also recognize that in the Greek, Paul excludes a Greek word for marriage. He could have used the Greek word for marriage, gameo, in the sense that he could have said married only once, and he does it. Now, is that hard evidence that a man could be married twice? No, but it's certainly something to think about. And what I would point to is, is I think that if uh, a man has uh, been married more than once, meaning that he is not just, not speaking of widower, but a man who has been divorced, I believe a divorced man under some circumstances, not every circumstance, can serve as an elder in the church. Now, what we also have to recognize is that the church, you all, are to recognize these men. And I think that's a a gift of God that he put good order in the church to prevent abuse of power within the church by a few men. Meaning, you're to recognize these men. And just because a a man has uh, been divorced and is living faithfully doesn't mean necessarily that he's qualified to lead the church. And certainly, if there are those who do not hold to that teaching, you would have opportunity, even as we uh, elect and affirm and approve elders, to disagree with that. And I think that that is healthy for the body. Now, does that answer all the questions? No. But as Calvin said, we'll take that after dinner. Keep going. Next one, sober-mindedness. Not rash, not quick on the draw, if you will. Self-controlled. The NASB calls this prudent, meaning acting with or showing care and thought for the future. He is uh, very uh, careful in not only his own personal life, but the way he leads the church. Respectable. He's of good behavior, the NKJV tells us. Is this a man that you would emulate? Is Is this a man that you... Would, would find uh, yourself wanting to respect? Would you tell your sons and your daughters, respect that man? He's an elder in the church. I think actually in today's world, uh, that has lost a lot of weight in our churches. That we tend, as the Church of America as a whole, to not hold these men who are pastoring us with that level of respect. And it's certainly a... Uh, Two sides to the coin. Many of the men are not are not living their lives in a way that should be respected in that way. But certainly there are those who, who are and, and the church is not respecting their position. But they should be those who are not only respected but respectable in their in their life. Hospitable. Hospitable. They're fond of guests. They want to include other people in their life. Why? Hospitality is included in the good work of being an elder, of being an overseer. And hospitality is a work. It doesn't come easy to clean the house and and make the meal and pay for extra food when you're on a tight budget and and bring people into the home and stay up late and all of the things that go into and can even go into opening your home in 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 a spirit of hospitality. But Christians innately do this. 
We, we have a hospitality team who greet people as they come through the door that are that may be strangers to this body. Why do we do that? And we intrinsically know, if we think about it, it's because God has, has invited us in. We were once strangers and aliens to the gospel of Jesus Christ. We were once enemies and, and he invited us in. He brought us in. He drew us in to his love. And not only did he draw us in, he seated us at his table. There's the Lord's Supper. He gave us the inheritance of sons. We're we're brothers with Christ, Scripture tells us. We're kings, Peter tells us. We even eat like kings. And therefore we are to be like and imitating God in in the sense that an elder should be a man who opens his home. And even singles, if you don't have your home... Volunteer for the hospitality team. Find ways to take someone to coffee. This isn't necessarily just having them within your own home. You can, you can draw other people into your life. You're fond of being with other people at times. And I, I, find, it, I find it so interesting how oftentimes our culture uh, sort of divides people out by personalities. Well, that person's an introvert and that person's an extrovert. And extroverts are great at hospitality and introverts, you know, they're just not gifted with hospitality. And some of the greatest introverts I've ever met in my life, meaning those who are the most introverted, as they they studied, as they were transformed by the Holy Spirit through the Word of God, as they grew in their faith, there's some, there's, those, are people, those are some of the people that are the most hospitable people that I know. That, that when we, we, just, we love to be able to be with others and encourage them in the Lord. And they don't use a, a personality as an excuse. In fact, they, they delight to be able to minister to others. And they may not do it as much as the extrovert does, but they do delight to do that. Able to teach. Able to teach. This is the last of the seven... And the positive that Paul gives us, first of all, they're not able to teach because they went to seminary. I'm not convinced that if you go to seminary, you're going to come out able to teach. Why? Because able to teach is not predicated upon a degree. It's not predicated on going to Toastmasters. It's not predicated on having, having speaking courses. Able to teach is a gift from God. 1 Corinthians Chapter 12, verse 28. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. That God gifts those in the body of Christ, some as teachers. Now, we can all aspire to teach. But that doesn't mean that we're all going to necessarily have this gift in the same way as those who can, who are to teach the church. That doesn't mean that you can't grow that ability to have through the, through the power of the Holy Spirit, have that ability to teach. But that doesn't also mean that you're going to necessarily be gifted to teach the church. What is this? What, what kind of what kind of things is this person teaching? Titus chapter one verse nine. They are to teach sound doctrine from the Bible. Meaning, if I was to walk up here and not have this word of God and not open it and not place it between me and you, and after multiple Sundays, you're thinking, what is he? What is he speaking from? Where's he getting his teaching from? And it's not clearly from the word of God. Uh, you should run out that back door. Why? Because my, my job is not to teach you what I think. 
but it's to simply explain the Word of God, to teach sound doctrine. In a sense, the, the shepherd of the sheep, of God's sheep, has to have a voice. And he, he speaks gently to the flock when needed. He encourages them. And he's also willing to roar and alarm when wolves are present. He doesn't mind shouting above the sheep even if necessary to say, Be careful! And that he also knows when to speak gently. But he doesn't speak his own words. He speaks the words of God. As we talked about last week. The tool, the, the rod and staff, if you will. The, the food, the water, if you will. Of the, of the shepherd of the church. Of the elder of the church. Is the word of God. The, the tools that we have are the administration of the sacraments and church discipline. That's how we care for the flock. But it isn't something that I have. It's a tool that's been given to me. Application for that is, does that mean the man should be able to stand in his pulpit and preach? And I don't think Paul is saying that. There's many ways to teach. Can, can a man instruct others in sound doctrine? Can he sit down with you over coffee and help you understand the word of God? Can he stand in the pulpit? Can he stand in a Sunday school class? Can he lead a small group? Can he lead a men's Bible study? Can he answer questions about doctrine? Can he write well about the doctrines of the Bible? Would this be a man that you would go to if you had a question about the Bible? I think that's what Paul's getting out. He understands sound doctrine. He knows how to refute false doctrine. But there's certainly many ways that he actually teaches. Now, point number two, what he should not be. Again, painting with a broad brush, there's a couple of positives in here. But what he should not be. Point number one, what he should be. Point number two, what he should not be. Closing verses three through seven. First of all, he's not a drunkard. And I don't take this to just be confined to alcohol but also to other addictions. He's not a man addicted to pornography. He's not a man addicted to food. He's not a man addicted to work. He's not someone who is given over to the the medicating aspects of the world, if you will. He's in control of his body. He's in control of his mind. He's not violent but gentle. The Holman Christian Study Bible says he's not a bully. He's not a bully. He's not quarrelsome. The NASB interprets this as he, he is peaceful. Now, what, and, and to, that doesn't mean, um, what that means is we, I, I don't go looking for a fight. I'm not out there to try to find something to, to engage you with and argue with and just constantly looking to quarrel with different people, especially about doctrines that may be tertiary, way down the line. But that doesn't mean that I'm not afraid to fight for sound doctrine. That doesn't mean that I'm not afraid to speak up when necessary. In fact, I would say that in America today, we need more pastors who will stand up and, and say what needs to be said. We have too many pastors who have given up fighting for the souls of their sheep. They just allow sin to run rampant throughout the flock and they don't address that because they don't want to be quarrelsome, I guess. But that's also not very loving. They're not a lover of money. Hebrews 13.5, keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you, nor forsake you. He's not to be a man who covets money. In the sense that in, his mod- in the way he models his life, he models a trust that God will provide. 
Hard worker? Yes. But he isn't love and is always seeking money. He must manage his own household well, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. Verse 4. Church fathers are to be house fathers, and house fathers are a quality of a church father. In one sense, we could say that the home is the proving ground of fatherhood for the church. If the, if the home is, if a, if a father is to pastor his wife and children, is he doing that well? If he's not doing it well at home, why would we think he would be doing it well within the church? He must model pastoring his wife and children well. We don't take this to mean, especially also bringing in Titus, that his children are believers. In the sense of, are they saved? If I... Uh, if we were to have a, a little one or if a pastor is called to a church at a young age and his wife is pregnant, we don't know whether or not that child's a believer or not. If the child is now grown and gone and they're in their 30s, the father is certainly not responsible for the actions of that son or daughter as an adult. But while they're within the home, is he leading them? Is he instructing them? Is he calling them to obedience? Is he Leading them in the nurture and admonition of the Lord? Is he instructing them in the word of God? Is he teaching them that obedience is good? Are they following him in obedience? All these things are happening there. Finally, verse 5, we turn to a couple of verses, excuse me, verse 6 and 7. We turn to his... Reputation outside of the church. Before we do that, let's just look at the last part of verse 5. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? How will he care for God's church? When I opened, I spoke about the importance of the bride of Christ. I opened with the, the, the weight of the glory of the bride of Christ. From heaven, the, 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 the hymn says, From heaven Christ came and sought his bride to be his holy bride. And with his own blood he bought her. He ransomed her and for her life he died. I would ask you this morning, are you, can, can that be said of you? That your life has been ransomed from the stain and power of sin. Can you say that you have, by faith and seen in repentance, put your trust in the work of Christ alone to save you from your sins? Or is your life marked more by trying to look like these seven verses as a way to be approving to God? You're spinning your wheels. You're wasting your time if that's what's said of you. You're dealing with a perfect, holy God and we all know that none of us in here are perfect and holy. And yet the free gift of salvation, the free gift of the shed blood of Jesus Christ, the, the, the hope of eternal life as seen by the empty tomb is the testimony, is the delight, is the, is the message of that bride of Christ. And can that be said of you? And if this morning you're thinking, no, that cannot be said of me, 
then please, I plead with you, do not leave. Don't walk those double doors in pride. Humble yourself. Let me talk to you. Talk to someone to your right. Talk to someone to your left. Jesus Christ loves sinners. He delights to save sinners. Just like you and just like me. And He can take whatever mess you may have twisted your life into in your sin and He can can give it meaning and purpose. He can wash you white as snow. He can enable you the grace to live a life that is modeled, is is seen by what we see in these seven verses, but is, is a fruit of His transforming power by His grace. So look to Christ and, and I pray that if you're an unbeliever this morning, if you do not know Christ, you might turn to Him and, and the joy of knowing what it means to have God as your Father, have Him as your Good Shepherd, have Him leading your life. Two more points. He must not be a recent convert, puffed with conceit and fall into the same condemnation of the devil. A commentator puts it this way. He should be a mature believer with an established reputation. A mature believer with an established reputation. How long should he be a convert? Scripture doesn't say. Paul was a convert for for 14 years. Is that a good number? I don't know. We don't have a number. But he should be a mature believer with an established reputation. Meaning, we want to give him time to see clearly that he's not someone who's been cast on a rocky soil or thorny soil. That has the... It, it, it chokes out when the temptation of the enemy comes. That we see that over time, that they desire not their own glory. They don't want to seek the edification of themselves, but they're seeking the glory of God. That, that they are men gifted by God for this work. And they have the desire for, for the world to see through the church the majesty and glory of God the Father. And will they, have, they, they need time to develop that reputation. Second Peter chapter 2, 1-4. through four, We're told of, of men who are false teachers. Who, who instead of modeling the glory of Christ, model the glory of themselves. And this is, this is what can happen if we put a man who is a recent convert in. Who may fall into the condemnation, same condemnation of the devil. Meaning, meaning as Satan in his conceit, in his pride, sought to elevate himself above his position as a created angel, was condemned. God punished him. And even then, the man that we would trot out, who may be a recent convert, were putting him in a position where he may be puffed up with his pride and conceit and fall into, and the other translations help us, fall us into the same type of punishment, the same condemnation that the devil has. Second Peter 2, 1-4. through But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their sensuality, and because of them the way of truth will be blasphemed. And their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. Lastly, he must be thought of, well, well thought of by outsiders, lest he fall into a snare, a trap of the devil. Elders uh, should be a microcosm of the health of the church to the world. You should be able to meet an elder on the street, on the athletic field, in the workplace, 
and, and him and the way he's living his life to be a reflection of even his church. That doesn't mean that the world isn't going to hate the pastor. Of course they will. They don't like the message that we preach. That doesn't mean that they're not going to uh, cast all sorts of dispersions upon us. But that also means that there isn't, they can't put their finger on one thing. They, they can't say, yeah, yeah, this is a glaring weakness in this man's life. No, he's thought of well by outsiders. He's a, a good ambassador, as we are to all be, of the gospel of Jesus Christ, 2 Corinthians 5, 20. And, and therefore, we should be careful that he is thought of well by outsiders. If he's not, the temptation then comes to, to respond wrongly to the harassment of ungodly people. If a man was to walk into his workplace and find his workers to find out that he had been elected to be an elder within his church that past Sunday and there they are mocking him for what they know him to be within the workplace and yet here he is stating he's an elder in the church that could tempt him to respond wrongly. For a church to have an elder that is not thought well of by outsiders is to then that church tempting that man to hypocrisy. To live one way before the outsiders and another before the church. And hypocrisy is not to be tolerated within the leaders of the church and is not to be tolerated within the church itself. Closing. What's at stake for the church? What's at stake for the church? Well, it's not the reputation of men. It's not, it's not character qualities. It's not giftings. What's at stake for the church is the advancement of the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. And what's at stake is that if, if men are not of Christ-like character to lead the church, they may well tarnish by their hypocrisy the beauty of the gospel. Paul desires, especially for Timothy, who's electing elders in the Ephesian church, for the glory of the beauty of Christ and God to be displayed to the whole world in front of him. And he does not want those who are leading the church to be those who would be able to tarnish the beauty of that. The wonder and the beauty of the gospel. He has made us as believers a royal priesthood. We are kings and priests, Peter tells us. And therefore we would desire for the world to see that we're kings and priests, not because we were born that way. But he, he, he had us born again. A new and living hope. And that those who repent and believe may as well be kings and priests. Be joined together with God for all of eternity through the work of Christ. Let's close in prayer. Father, I thank you for your word. We thank you for the example Christ has set for us. We thank you for your Holy Spirit that enables us and empowers us to model Christ to the world. Father, we're not called to be those who are inward focused as a church. But we're actually called to model Christ, to proclaim Christ to the world. So we come and we submit ourselves to one another and we submit ourselves to prayer and we submit ourselves to the table and we submit ourselves to baptism and the preaching of the word and singing. 
to be strengthened, to grow, to see yet again the grace of God that is working in and through us so that the world would recognize we are not our own. We have been bought with a price. Our ransom has been paid. We are, we are free men. We're not in the shackles and bondage of sin any longer. And Father, I pray that you would raise, continue to, to raise all of us, men, women, boy, girl, within this congregation, up to maturity in Christ. And Father, I pray that you would even this week encourage us as we, we fight the good fight, we seek to be in your word, we, we fight against those sins that so easily beset us, that you would help us, that you would encourage us, and we would yet again continue to look to Christ who not only was our example, but was the was the perfect sacrifice, who did all of these things that we see in these seven verses perfectly for our behalf. Help us now. In the precious and holy name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.